When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hello and welcome to What Are the Cobblers, the debrief Northampton Town Nil uh, and Albion 2 digested. I'm Tom Reed, and joining me today is Cobblers writer and comms man James Avril, Warwick regular Martin Maloney, old school Northampton fan Stephen Tomlin, and Burton Albion reporter for the Burton Mail, Colston Crawford. How are you doing, guys? You okay? Morning, yes, fine. Morning, all good. I'm glad I've had time to sleep on that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, James. Um, I think we all needed a bit of time to sleep on that result. Um, on that, let's go to Colston first. We do that customarily, you know, let's have the first word from the victorious end. Colston, Jimmy must have been happy with the win, though Cobblers made a fight of it for a fair period. I think he was both uh, happy and relieved. Uh, as he said, uh, quite uh, quite happily, uh, Northampton were a better team for the first 20 minutes, no question. But uh, he's very pleased with the way our lot uh, dug in and uh, and came through in the end. After the result, obviously Northampton fans were very upset with the way we gave away that first goal via the back pass. And I think maybe in the clear lot of day, it might have slightly clouded some of the Northampton appraisals of the game. Because for the first 20 minutes, after um, Keith Curl, what I call Curl ball, direct style of play, it was a little bit of a breath of fresh air from the North, Northampton perspective, Carson. And sort of, do you agree that we played pretty well, didn't we, for the first, you know, first quarter? I thought we were in trouble, to be perfectly honest, in the first first 10 minutes, first 20 minutes. Um, they looked like they'd got a, a, a spring in their step. And uh, and I thought, you know, if it carries on, it carries on like this. There is, there's no question that Northampton will will score and win. Mm. Um, but but I didn't necessarily think it would all carry on like that, because I figured that, you know, it, there's always a chance that we grow into the game. And that that's what happened. But uh, how it might have been if a goal had gone in in those first uh, in those first minutes, uh, well, you know, we can we can only speculate. But uh, it, it, it didn't, and that's how it, that's how it panned out. I thought then, as the game went on, I thought it had nil nil written all over it. Mm. And then, of course, I predicted one nil to you either way before the game, and uh, it very nearly was one nil. Uh, would have been entirely typical of uh, of Bert, Burton under under Jimmy so far. Sure. What? Um, how, how would you explain how Burton grew into the game? Because we talked about the first 20 minutes. Um, I just felt that maybe Jimmy wasn't particularly happy with the tactics a little bit. He was definitely barking from the sidelines to try and switch things up a bit. How? What could you? Um, how can you put your finger on how Burton grew into the? Because uh, I thought I thought Northampton's confidence dropped when they didn't score. 
Um, <clears throat> and that had something to do with it. Uh, in his interviews afterwards, Jimmy has said that we had to adjust. Um, but he wasn't very specific about how we adjusted. Uh, it yeah. was he, he. We went in on the uh, on an unknown because you didn't know how John Brady was going to set them up. And as he said, he, he, he wasn't expecting to see a back four. He wasn't expecting to see that formation. So, uh, to a certain extent, there was an adjustment to be made to to cope with that. But I, I, I just think he has intelligent players now um, who who. Uh, found a way and just found a way into the game really sure although from an Northampton perspective we pretty much gifted you two goals the back pass was just a bit of a catalogue of errors which we'll go into later and the second one you know defending like that when a player uh, you know of Edward's ability gets in that position he should not really be allowed to skip around a player and it, they're both goals that are just horror shows from our perspective um on a more positive note from your end who would you say stood out for you as about an rbm player on the day oh let's have a think on that one um i think bostwick is is starting to to be the player that we thought he could that, that we knew he was you know he was young maybe he was past it earlier in the season but he's starting to look strong now um, I think Sean Clare is important for us in midfield. He's a bit chippy. You saw he, he got booked with uh, Hoskins for some some handbags uh, in the uh, in the second half. Uh, he had an argument with Josh Parker at one point about what each of them were supposed to be doing when we were defending. But that was I saw that was a good thing because you've got you've got players caring about. And I thought that uh, he, he buzzed around an awful lot. I thought, I thought Claire made us made us tick in midfield. So, so I yeah, I thought Aikens is he's always just um he's just a unit up front and he's he's always liable. If you just lose track of him for a little bit, he's liable to test the keeper. And he sort of tried to do that on a couple of occasions. I always rated him, but yeah, I think um, Jimmy would probably be fairly pleased with an overall team performance and the work rate. Um, what about Northampton, our fans are, you know, obviously very down in the dumps now. The relegation fight is by no means over. Mm. Northampton fans are sort of thinking it's a bit of a foregone conclusion now we've lost to Burton and we're just looking really at the bottom now. Do you think there's anything in that performance from Northampton that gives could give us hope that we could perhaps scrape up? Yeah, I, I, I re, you really can't see it as over at this stage in, by, by any stretch of the imagination. It looked like you're having the run that we have. In the, um, when we when we were conceding goals all over the place. I mean, we conceded 50 well before half, which is horrific. You know, if you're on target to concede 100 goals in the season, well, it hasn't been this century in in that division. Uh, Colchester had 99 one year, but um, it's it's all about when teams have their bad runs, isn't it? And it seems at the moment like. Burton are now having a good run while everyone around them is having a bad run. But if you take that out of it and just look, at, forget the form and look at the table, everyone is in with a shout of getting out of this. They're all much the same. You know, we're on 22 points. There's four teams on 24. Next one is 25. Next one is 26. It could, it could be any of them, and and one thing could turn form around. And uh, you some somewhere along the line you have to scrape something, don't you? And then, and then maybe mm-hmm. a little better. I thought there was plenty of plenty of hope to be seen in in the 
Southampton certainly played in the first 20 minutes. Not, not seen a lot of the players regularly, obviously, but uh, Kyoso and Marshall looked impressive to me. And that's nice to hear, sort of very interesting to hear from an outsider's point of view. We're all very invested in the emotions of what's going on at the moment. Uh, so it's, that's quite nice to hear. Um, any of the other Northampton guys, have, have you got any questions for Colston or any sort of observations from Burton that you can add? Um, a, question, a question for me, because obviously we're, we're going through a, kind of, a managerial change. You know, someone's been there for a long while being, being replaced. I mean, we had, you know, Jimmy Floyd didn't work out at all at the Cobblers. Um, but he does seem like a really good fit at at Burton. I think when he when he got appointed, it was like, well, he'd kind of succeeded with a good side at Burton. And then he inherited probably a situation at QPR that Alex Ferguson probably couldn't have worked with. And we just didn't know what we were getting. And it never worked out particularly well. But he seems to have slipped in kind of seamlessly at Burton and really turned really turned it around. Just wonder, you know, how much of that is just that natural new manager bounce, which we're hopefully anticipating, and how much of it is that we probably just didn't see who someone who appears to be, if you're a Burton supporter, a really good manager. It's it's a tricky one, isn't it? How how these things pan out. Um, he gets on extremely well with Jim. They're good friends. I was telling Tom this on the, on the other day. Um, when he left Burton the first time, they stayed friends. They visited each other. Uh, Jimmy was back at the ground several times as a guest just just to watch a game, and uh, and they all stayed in touch. So there's a bond there between Jim. Presumably, didn't have without, uh, didn't have at Northampton. Um, it just worked for him. But I mean, the jury's out on him as a manager, isn't it? Because, as you quite rightly say, he, he didn't. I'm sure he knows this now. But the, the QPR move was was a was a bad move because the basket case of the club. Um, I thought he would do would do all right at Northampton, but uh, wasn't there some some issue about investment that didn't happen or something like that? Yep. Yeah, that's great. Really, when we when we sort of uh, appraise Jimmy um, and Northampton fans, it's probably all football fans are like this. If a, fan, a manager fails, there's a little bit of bitterness there, and you you don't see the overall bigger picture. And Jimmy was signed under the Five U Sports sort of deal, and then he left after the Five U Sports money from China didn't didn't appear. So that wasn't a straightforward case, in my opinion. So we've got to cut him a little bit of slack. And I think. Um, what I noticed yesterday, and um, Colston's mentioned this as well, his teams are very well drilled. So the organisational aspect, and if you've maybe got a tiny little bit more fitness or a little bit more confidence, maybe that can tell over 90 minutes, Colston? And definitely a fitness thing. You mentioned it after the game. And, you know, it, you, you say you said that uh, Ryan Edwards shouldn't have been able to run like that. Uh, that guy is the fittest guy in the club. Um, he's consistently runs several kilometres more than anyone else in the course of a game. It's been measured yeah. all the time. He's the guy you wanted to be, after, when, you, when you've already played 90 plus minutes, he's the last guy you want to have to be chasing because, because he's still going at 90 minutes, uh, more than most. Um, not that his finishing is always, is always uh, as, as clean as that one, but, uh, you know, the hard man to chase when you've already played 90 minutes. <clears throat> so, definitely. And um, maybe that was sort of counter 
posed with um, Bryn Morris, who's trying to sort of t- tackle back on him. Bryn Morris is coming on loan, maybe not the fittest because he just hasn't mm. played too much and um, just couldn't couldn't live with him. And it was it was a solid finish in the end. But um, I think we'll let you go now, Colston, because you're you're a busy guy, and um, we're going to get stuck into the Northampton yeah. side of things. The uh, literally is called the debrief, and that's pretty much what it was. But um, thanks for taking the time to talk to us, and um, good luck with the rest of the season for Brighton. Thank you. Cheers. Yeah, so let's go to you, James. You've had a night to think about it. I was, you know, I was have a look at social media and stuff. And to be honest with you, there was a, quite a lot more of a vitriolic um, critique of John Brady's post-match interview and stuff like that than I thought. Do you think, you know, John Brady t- needs to take a bit of this flack for the result or do you, you know, a bit more sort of, fair-minded about it James uh no I mean uh, you know if, if we analyze the first off the starting lineup I thought it was a positive move going to four at the back I think we look more creative when we have four at the back uh it kind of seemed to to fit with the front foot on the front foot football that he was saying we, we would go and go and play and the first 15 minutes uh it it aligned with that and we looked excellent and we probably had more shots in that first 15 minutes than we've had in the last like eight games um mm. but we just needed one of them to go in and it's, it's the story at the moment isn't it when things aren't quite going your way you know that the goal being given offside that, that's the right no one can take that feeling away from me by the way just actually <laughs> celebrating the ball hitting the net even though it didn't count it was brilliant I forgot how much I enjoyed it um, yeah but uh you know and then Watson's shot if it's just a couple of inches lower I think if we get that early goal I think we go on and win because the confidence will just come back um Burton will be a bit you know shell-shocked with the fast start so I think it was just once we didn't score in that kind of dominant spell we had I think the players almost kind of started to lose confidence again almost like ah here we go again I don't think we were doing we were well in the game obviously until until the first goal so I don't think you can really criticize uh Brady in terms of the the result I will say I thought the subs once we did concede were a little bit strange I, I was surprised to see Harriman come on it's not, nothing against Harriman you know he's 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 a relatively solid um, fullback, but uh, I'd have liked to have seen, uh, you know, two strikers on um, just just to get more kind of attacking players on the pitch. So I was a little bit surprised with that sub, but I think to to expect um, a massive turnaround uh, in the first game, I know you get the new manager bounce, um, but having slept on it, I think to expect you know uh, us to you know be a, a free flowing high scoring team was was going to be unrealistic this team have been down in the dumps you know for the last eight or nine games barely scoring and when we had chances other than the watson chance we we were snatching at them and you could tell we're just so desperate for that goal so i think as soon as we didn't get that early goal i think the confidence just started to 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 drip away really yeah that makes a lot of sense i'll go to you now Stephen. um for me, there were some small positives when I was watching the game. So all the points that James made, um, the possession was 
pretty solid. I think we were up at about 52%. We were bossing the ball a little bit more. It seemed to be a little bit more confidence on the ball. I like Marshall, his roving performance, in that, especially in that first half. He was all over that front line and he hadn't even been in a lot of the squad. So that was a positive performance, Stephen. But can you understand fans that are just pretty much, how would you score, describe it, just so pessimistic about how it's going to go and saying that maybe Brady just can't turn it around or are you slightly more optimistic and trying to look for the positives in it? I can certainly understand the pessimism, um, simply because we haven't scored for seven games, have we? Or we have scored yeah. one. But um, So, yeah, you can understand it. Going back to blaming Brady, I don't see how you could do that after after two days training. Um, mm. uh, James mentioned the Harriman substitution, but I think we were crying out for a left winger and to put Harriman at left back and then Mills on the left side to put in the crosses. That made sense to me. However, like James said, I would have then still put on an, an extra striker. Maybe Chuck Marika would have had a go. Um, yeah. Last night, I was pessimistic thinking oh we ain't scored for seven games uh we're definitely going down um however then you look at the table again and you think it's it's there there's no i mean look it, it takes one goal one win and you're out of that relegation zone again so <laughs> it is there for us and it is positive there's that there's 19 more games we have got a chance however we do have to score a goal where that comes from at the moment, um, yeah, we, we need something to get just just to drop and just to go in, and I think I think then we'll. I don't know whether this is more in hope than expectation. I think then hopefully we'll we'll go on a little. Not not a winning run, but win the odd game here and there, and get enough. Get enough to get us over the line. I think mm. it's going to be nip and tuck. I hope we've got right. 19 games to go. Um, let, let's try and stay positive, but it is worrying, certainly. I hope I'm not right, Steve, and they often say it's it's not the disappointment that kills you, it's the hope. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, possibly. But we, we all agreed, I think, that Keith Cole had to go. So it's sort of like you had to roll the dice and we're going we're gonna to have to cope with what comes after it. And there were some positives and I don't think there's anything to be gained by like, all falling out or slating Brady. I, I think we're just going to have to be in it. Northampton have escaped before these sort of situations and pretty much the only way we're going to do it is by everyone sticking together, I think. And mm. um, that two hours that Brady had with the team is not enough you know, to produce any sort of change, really. Um, no, it's going to take time, isn't it? Yeah. Martin, um, Brady talked quite a lot in his post-match interview about the mental element. And he saw, you know, a few heads down in the in, in the brief period he was actually training with the players and stuff. And it's quite strange how last season, when Curl had the team on point, we just seemed so sort of mentally strong. And we, you know, we used to, it was a pretty, pretty much a war of attrition against certain teams. We were just battering into submission, a cohesive team unit. But this season, the some some heads do seem to have dropped. And, do you think there's a mental element to a lack of success at the moment, Martin? Yeah, I, th- I think, kind of, you know, we talk about different things. We talk about momentum. We talk about the mental side of the game and psychology. But, you know, ultimately, and I don't think there's much to add to what everyone said about 
about the game. And I think Stephen sums our, our position up re- really well. You know, it's, it is a little mini league of seven of us, you know, and we just need to finish in the top three of that, I think, if you look at the league table. But I think, you know, winning, bre- winning breeds success is a bit of a cliche. But if you're winning every week, you're enjoying going to work, you're enjoying training, you're enjoying playing, you drag yourself, you know, you can drag your mates along. When things are horrible, and I think I loved Brady's interview because he was he was a bit more open than you'd usually find a manager. Be. When he was sort of asked, you know, what do you mean, you know, players down or mental side, and he, and he said, you know, when you mate when your mate misses a shot, you don't berate him. Mm. And it sounds like you know a lot of that negativity had sort of creeped in. You know, I hadn't particularly picked that up from the side. You'd see that heads went down, but if people are being, you know having a go at each other and haven't got faith in their teammates, it's like, well, yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be, it's not going to be a lot of fun training. It's not going to be a lot of fun playing. And, you know, playing against a side like that, you're just like, right, we get one against these, you know, we're probably, probably going to win. You add that to the sort of clear deficiencies of sort of goal scoring and conceding too many soft goals. It's, I like the fact that Brady's identity, you know, it's not just that he's identified on the pitch that we needed to be, more attacking. I liked the formation. I liked the fact that Marshall was brought in from the cold. Um, but he's identified that mental side of it as well. And, you know, that, that gives me some optimism that, you know, I, I'm not going to sit here and say, yeah, we're, we're going to stay up. But I don't think I can look at it and say we're going to go down because we're trying some new stuff. And you've got someone in there who seems to at least have an analysis of what he thinks is wrong with, the, you know, with what's gone on. And that seems to align with a lot of things that we've said on kind of Friday Night Lights and our, on our post-match pods as well. So, you know, I, I think if someone's addressing that mental side, perhaps in a more thoughtful way than than maybe Curl did, where it'd just be like, you know, we just need to work harder. Um, if someone understands the psychology a bit more, you know, at least maybe it's a lever that we've not we've not pulled yet. And maybe there's something there. But, you know, he certainly said he's looking at players you know, out of contract and, you know, it probably does need some different, some different voices in there. You know, I've said before about, you know, Ricky Holmes, maybe as a footballer, but also, you know, the equivalent of a a McCormack, you know, someone who's a leader because, you know, it's still painfully obvious. I think to most watching, there's a lack of leaders out there. And maybe that's one of the things that allows the negativity to take hold. I kind of think if you had McCormack, or an equivalent in the side, that that negativity wouldn't become so all-encompassing, if that makes sense. Yeah, it's an interesting sort of psychological aspect, really, because a lot of the players left are Curl's players, or Curl players that Curl brought in quite recently. So they they were brought in recently to try and sort out a situation, a bad situation, and then Curl goes, and then the new manager comes in, and certain players might be thinking, well, am I actually... <laughs> the one the, the current manager actually wants. So it's a bit of a difficult dynamic there. Um, I'll just read out some of the uh, tweeters' comments. We had quite a few in, just put it out there on uh, NQ and TFC, what you thought of the situation, whether Cobbers can stay up. Um, James Bland tweeted us saying that, no, he doesn't think we have enough to stay up. Uh, we have 19 games to stop the rot and develop the spine of a team and a star that can compete next year and ensure we don't have another relegation battle. This should include blooding youngsters, Daesh, for example, and cutting some of the dross completely adrift. So James is looking a bit at the youth aspect. 
Simon Jones tweeted us to lose and in that matter was massively disappointing. I suspect a goal when we had the upper hand would have changed the game and mood. I'm not saying Brady or his team have what it takes to stay up, but let's give him them more than one game together before judging, which seems fair enough to me. Um, Adam Barbie tweeted us, not a chance. It's a bottom half League Two side at best. I don't want to hear excuses about budgets either. We sold a player for £1 million and replaced him with a real-life donkey. The club is shambolic from top to bottom, so no mince in his words from Adam Barbie. Um, <laughs> Ethan Delafield tweeted us, besides the National League level players, what are the scouts and goalkeeper coaches doing? Surely recruitment isn't just Cole's fault, which is uh, another fair point. We'll move on to recruitment a bit later on. James Sills tweeted us, never looked like a goal was coming from either side, to be honest. So that's a real sickener in the defeat. Did I expect her to score? No. We're better and overall a better side than us. We certainly made it easier for them. Subs on too late. Certain players need mitting. It's always going to be... Um, you know, slightly negative after that sort of performance. Um, Joe Smart, no, Casey had no clue how to recruit for League One. He cost us this season. Yes, you could argue we came up on a whim, but to not even try to stay in the league is insulting to every playing supporter, season ticket holders, or I follow passes. So um, let's go on to some of the talking points of the game. We talked to Colston earlier about some of Northampton's chances, and if one of those goes in, it could change the dynamic. I'm pointing towards that chance when Ryan Watson hit the bar fairly early on. I thought that was actually a good bit of play and probably something that adds a bit of optimism how we can actually play. The whole thing was done on the floor. So it started off down the, the wing. Watson plays on the wing and it shows in the connectivity of him starting to move and trying to finish it. He plays it down the wing, I think. I think Rose cuts it inside. McWilliam turns his man, passes it to Watson, who feeds Hoskins down the left. Hoskins gets back inside and passes to Watson and Watson hits a rising uh, right-footed shot which hits a crossbow and com- comes out um, James, that was not a bad little move and if that would have gone in the top corner that would have given us so much more confidence uh, Yeah, absolutely um, and like I said earlier it's one of those, we, we just need something anything to go in and it's mm. uh, so frustrating when you kind of see a cannon off the bar and you think oh, and like I said I, I think the players had that kind of mindset as well as soon as it didn't go in from that first 15 minute spell I think we, we started we didn't revert to tie because I still thought we were further up the pitch than we usually are um, but you could see the confidence ebbing away I, I thought as Burton grew into the game almost like a ah we've missed the chance here um, you have to say Watson at the moment looks our biggest goal threat um, you know when he came on against Lincoln uh, well, no, sorry, it wasn't Lincoln. It was um, Fleetwood away, wasn't it? Where, you know, he, he almost kind of won us the game with, with a few shots. And um, we're not creating anything for the strikers at the moment. So he is looking like our biggest goal threat at the moment, um, which is, uh, I, th- I think, indicative. You know, it's, it's not slight against Watson, but it's indicative of, of the problems that we've got, that we've, you know, the, the centre midfielder is is the biggest goal threat. At the moment, um, we need to start creating chances for our attacking players um, rather than rather than kind of shots from the edge of the box, which at the moment aren't dropping in for us. Definitely. I think Watson, like you said, is probably our greatest goal scoring threat, probably our best with shots. And as you've suggested, you really want your strikers in the best 
uh, route or option at goal. Danny Rose, for me, is still, I won't say flattering to deceive because he's a hard-working guy, but for me, he's not making enough chances for himself. The um, balls into him probably haven't been the best. That gets us on to the second chance, actually. Um, I'll go to you on this one, Stephen. Marshall, for me, one of the brightest players in the day and a good performance for me because he's been out of the squad on a couple of occasions, but he just he was just mobile and he offered a different dimension to Northampton's play and we had a chance by him. The ball came down the right and he just put a really nice cross in for Danny Rose, who did a diving header, got it on target, keeper parries it and then it goes back to him and he hits it into the side net, netting. Um, we're going to have to go on to the back pass goal. Poor Brady, he was probably fairly confident or pretty happy about some of the, the moves Northampton have been making and the just the cohesiveness of us. But when you give away goals like that, it's enough to any manager to tear their hair out, permanent or caretaker. Martin, I've been looking at the letter of the law, actually. That's an interesting point about back passes. I'm no ex-refereeing expert. I don't know if anyone here has got a refereeing qualification. But uh, according to the law, um, I'll read it out that, you know, a back pass is when someone deliberately kicks it back to the keeper. Now, you could say that uh, Bolger, I think it was, shinned the ball back. So therefore, maybe not a sort of intentional back pass. What's your take on that, mine? If I'm ref in a game, I'm giving that every day of the week as a back pass. Mm. <clears throat> um, and, you know, Mitchell's got got time to, to boot it away, um, to control it. He's just had a, an absolute brain fart there, I think, in picking it up. He's, you know, you, you've got to be better than that. I know I've talked before about our goalkeeper situation and it not being a, a position of strength, certainly for us with either of the keepers. But I think that's just an aberration, you know, a mental aberration um, when he's done that. And, and, you know, fair play, they, they took the free kick really well. But, yeah, it was a bit of a switch off that's probably cost us the game because it's probably going to end nil-nil without one side making a, a real rick by that stage. And unfortunately, it was us. Mm. So I looked at the um, some of the, you know, the, the FA laws on the game and uh, I couldn't find the specific reference to, you know, you we sort of common sense suggests if you head the ball back to the keeper, you can pick it up. Um, goal.com had an explanation of the pass back rule and they said that Players are allowed to head the ball back to their goalkeeper or pass the ball back to their shot stopper with any body part other than their foot. So, you know, it's, it's clutching at straws, but I'm just trying to give Mitchell a little bit of credit in that he may be some sort of expert on the rules, but in, at you the don't same take time, that it's, it's, it's like making no, a challenge yeah. in the penalty area, isn't it? You give mm. the referee a decision to make. And sometimes yeah. you, have, you have to. Other times you don't have to, you know, he's got a choice to make there and he, he's he's absolutely made the wrong one. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, sort of any player with a bit of an ounce about them would just chest that, take it down and just whack it out or something like that. Any goalie is just playing with fire, wasn't he? Um, James, the resultant free kick, we all had our heads in our hands when it happens. They're very, they are difficult to defend those indirect free kicks from so close to the goal. Do you reckon, in hindsight, players would have probably been better just staying on the line? Maybe I'm not sure. Yeah, hundred percent. When, when, as soon as it was given, you get that sinking feeling in your chest, and you're just like, they're going to score from this. <laughs> I certainly had it. I don't know if everyone else did. It was yeah. a ridiculous decision. I can totally understand why the ref gave it. I know you sometimes see those decisions not given, but to risk it 
was daft. And for me, the most stupid thing about it was the positioning he was in. You can kind of get understand that if, like, the keeper is on the edge of the air and he's got a player, you know, running at him full <laughs> pelt. I didn't feel like this was the case. He was smack bang in the middle of the goal, about, six, about 10 yards out. It was just daft, I think. And then, yeah, it, it's just a case of we had everyone back on the line. Stand there and get prepared to get a whack in the face for me. You know, yeah. OK, have one person, possibly the keeper, um, bearing down, trying to block the shot. But if everyone stands on the line, it's going to be incredibly accurate in the top corner. Um, and when you see the picture, there's a, there's a picture on the um, Chronicles uh, website where it shows and they, they all charge down. They're all making themselves smaller targets. And he's just—he has got a lot of space to put it into the corner. Um, oh, for me, it was—it was just a—we a, should have just stood on the line, and you get prepared to take one in the face if if needs be to keep your team in—you know—to get a an important result in a very important game. And yeah, I, I thought the approach to it was wrong. I get that it's not a common situation, so you probably don't train for things like that, but. Um, yeah, we I think we made it too easy for him to, you know, fair play. It, it was a good finish, you know, hit it very hard into the corner, but we shouldn't have given him, him an opportunity to put it low into the corner. It should have been top corner if he's going to put it in. I think I watched the I watched the replay uh, or the highlights rather just before we did the pod because I'd missed the initial back pass and I had to watch it two or three times just say, right, what have we done here? But on the free kick, the refs made them retake it twice because we've charged out both times. But when you watch it, I think it's Brayford, um, the guy with the big beard. He's over to the left and he is absolutely pointing, saying, put it there. So we're definitely, you know, before it's taken, which definitely says, you know, we and, and you're right, absolutely right, James. We don't, you don't practice these things because they don't happen very often. But it looked like it was way, way too easy. Um, and the fact that one of their players has seen us run out twice, can see what we're doing. We've not then changed our setup, and he's saying, you know, there, there's your gap. And as you say, it should have to be top corner if you put it in as easy like that, and it wasn't. Mm, I guess because it's an indirect free kick, someone has to touch the ball first. It makes it sort of slightly harder to just flick the ball up into the top corner. So I think you're right that maybe standing on the line might have made it a bit more difficult. But at the same time, the damage is done with the stupid decision making of the keeper and you know um, it is what it is I guess the second goal wasn't much better really anyone that's played in defense or you know played football at any level sort of has to realize that I think it was Bryn Morris trying to track back uh, Edwards and he was to use an you know (laughs) a bit of layman's term blowing out of his ass Bryn Morris trying to get back as we've as we've heard, Edwards is a super fit guy. And what, Stephen, what about you, mate? The defending on that to be able to just flick the ball around him, go around the other side like it was on a you know the school playground, then maybe the keeper should have made the angle a bit tighter as well. What do you reckon, Stephen? Oh, with that, I mean, I'm not going to fault Bryn Morris massively because he, like you said earlier, he hasn't had many games for Portsmouth, so he's mm. gone on loan to get games, so he's as you say, blowing out of his ass, But the keeper just makes it... I mean, he, I reckon he probably would have scored anyway, but it basically makes it an open goal. I would have scored. Yeah. Mm. Honestly, I mean, there's it, it, a massive target for it. He stands on his line. He just doesn't move. 
And if anything, he, he made it even easier because he came towards the near post. And he, what, but he just he barely moves. Come out, come out. Give it, give an angle, give something. Oh, he probably still would have scored because he's through on goal. Yeah. But you just never know. I mean, it's too late then anyway because of the first goal. But yeah, I mean, I I don't rate Mitchell at all. I mean, I think that I think Martin said it. Both keepers are, are well, they're distinctly average. Both of them really aren't they? Mm. Um, if you go back to Steve, yeah. if you go, we'll talk about this in a second. The recruitment we've got quite, we've got too many loan players in too many key positions. And it, I said quite a few months ago, it was reminding me of that last grey season when it was sort of you know, running out of budget, throwing the dice a little bit. Too many loan players, you can see it sort of falling down like a house of cards. And so the goalie's a loanee. You've got Jones, who's a loanee. There's, there's quite a few more. Bryn Morris is a loanee. So this spine of the team is filled with loanees. And going back to trying to create a tight, tighter angle for Edwards you know he could all he had to do was just side thread it around him so uh, you're probably right that he might have scored anyway but you want the goalie doing a little bit better on, on right that. he just stood there he gave him yeah. he, he gave him a massive massive target to put it in like I say I'll, I'm, I'll, I'm not the best player in the world but I reckon I would have scored I wouldn't have gotten mm. past Bryn Morris in the first place because I'm not quicker than him but <laughs> once I got into that position I, I would have been confident of knocking it in the net to be honest the build-up yeah. of that goal very much remind me. Do you remember when England lost to Germany and Messer Özil just skinned Gareth Barry down the left-hand <laughs> side? It was like that. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I agree with the, the goalkeeper. He needs to narrow the angle a bit more, I think. And I, I, I agree. I think for a couple of years now, and I think people will be aware, I wasn't a huge fan of David Cornell. I thought he did yeah. improve. But for me, we've not had a number one keeper no ages. We've had three number two goalkeepers, in my opinion. Yeah, um, it's an area we really need to to get a grip on, in my opinion. That, mm. And that for me is down to curl as well. Um, I, we'll probably talk about it a bit later, but uh, yeah, he's always wanted to, um, two positions in in one, hasn't he? In in a way, so they, they yeah. compete with each other, and and he's ended up with two average goalkeepers. It's a difficult one for Mitchell as well. I, I'm with Stephen that I'm not rating him hugely, but he's a young guy. He was at Derby. He probably hasn't played much first team football. He's in a very difficult position now, a team pretty much bottom of the league. The pressure's on him. And mm. yeah, it's not ideal. It's not basically not what you want. And I'm sure John Brady was thinking we need an experienced goalie in here. I don't know if Steve Sherwood is still playing from the night. <laughs> a safe pair of hands or not. Um, but Let's um let's quickly we'll do this quickly because it's not that you know difficult a choice I don't think really too much um a man of the match out of that I'll say my one is pretty much Marshall I just think he's got a bit of quality on the ball and we're lacking that overall quality and creativity what about you James man of the match I thought Marshall started well but I thought he really tailed off in the second half um yeah. that's a tough one no one put in a really good ninety minute performance. I'd probably go with Watson, um, just because I think he didn't tail off as much as Marshall did. I think if Marshall had played like that for the whole, you know, for another thirty minutes, then yeah, I think I would have given it to him. But he he didn't do much in in the second half. I didn't think so. I'll probably just give it to Watson. He's bound to be suffering from a, you know, not yeah, that's totally understandable. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, but Watson, 
he's a, he's a good box-to-box player when he gets on the ball. And he, he like we said, he's our, probably our best shooter. Another one that hasn't been in the team that much. So he's going to sort of tail off a little bit. We're struggling from a lack of creativity by Keith Cole's recruitment and maybe a little bit of match sharpness, which Burton showed um, training at St George's Park every day. They've got a fantastic training facilities. They're bound to be fit as fleas. Um, Martin, for you, man of the match? Um, I think I think the two we've mentioned so far um, are, are a good shout. I'd probably shade it to Watson's. I think he kind of went on for longer. And just on the recruitment point, Marshall's probably stayed out there longer than he should because when you... My worry, my worry is, you know, what if Sam Hoskins gets injured? I know he's not the most popular, but, you know, this is why, you know, I've said Ricky Holmes or a similar player because those players are quite integral to how we're going to play. And there was no one really to come off the bench who was going to do a similar job to Marshall or Hoskins and playing week in, week out. I'd really hope, you know, obviously what Miller to come back from injury, but we probably need another option like that as well to, to be able to say to a player like Marshall, you know, give me 60 minutes, absolutely leave nothing out there. And I've got someone to come on and replace you who's going to do, do similar. But yeah, I think, I think, you know, at first 25 minutes or so, Marshall was out, outstanding, but Watson probably better for longer. Yeah. I think maybe in terms of, a winger or a creative player that obviously Keith Cole wasn't big on those. If you look down into the youth rank, someone like Morgan Roberts, but that's a massive ask for him at his age. He hasn't been in the team, but he, I've, I've seen him quite a few times, especially for the youth side. He's, um, he's a creative player, really low centre of gravity, and he can just, just wiggle through defences. But as I sort of made the point just a second ago, he's that's a massive task for him. So we're probably waiting on Miller, I would say, to try and bring some sort of creativity there. Um, Steve, for you, man of the match, mate? Uh, yeah, I was going to go Marshall for myself. Um, he's got to, he's got to start playing. I think I mentioned it earlier. He's got to start playing games now. He's got to start playing most weeks. Yes, whether it's a 60, 70 minutes and he, and there's hopefully a substitute there ready made. Um, also, partnerships are big in in football for me. And, and Marshall and Kyoto looked quite good together. Um, so I'd like to make. Another nomination for Kyoto. Again, he, he looked very solid and looked pretty good going forward and really linked up really well with Marshall. Uh, Watson had a, had a very good game and, you know, another inch or two lower and, and, he's, and he's rifle one in the top corner. Um, but I'm just going to stick my neck out and go for Marshall for me. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. And Kyoto, he's probably one of the first on the team sheet. He's solid every game he's played. His attributes are there for everyone to see. Very strong, doesn't try out of a tackle, gets up and down that wing. So he was definitely up there for the man of the match. Just a shame that we lost, so it takes a gloss of everything. Um, we're going to have to talk about Keith Cole's recruitment because any appraisal of John Brady's two-hour <laughs> effect on the, the football club has to be taken with the players that he's actually got at hand. And the more you look at it, for me, the weaker... Keith Cole's recruitment gets we talked about we talked about the centre-backs I've discussed quite a lot in recent weeks those that centre-back three that he brought in and we haven't even talked about the guy that went back to Brentford and so there's quite a few weak links in there James how would you appraise Keith Cole's summer recruitment because let's face it the year before it was okay how would you how would you 
sort of assess yeah, the impact that, of his summer recruitment. That was going to be my point. I don't think I think the recruitment last season, both in the summer and January, was very good. Uh, <coughs> this year, it's not. It's been as simple as that. Um, yep. I don't know whether we, before we kind of like signed, you know, um, <coughs> players who'd had experiences of kind of winning promotions from from that division. So the recruitment kind of absolutely made sense. It didn't appear to, to me, I, you know, I'm speculating here, but to me, we, we didn't, when we got promoted, we didn't really kind of stop to think, right, what kind of play do we need now? Um, and it, it, the recruitment seemed muddled. It seemed to be muddled between different styles. Um, I think if the recruitment had been a bit more streamlined, if we'd gone, right, we're going with this style again this season. Um it, because if, if we're going for that direct style, for me, why are we signing uh, Benny Ashley Seal, who clearly doesn't fit that kind of style of play? Um, mm. um, ditto kind of Danny Rose. You know, they're not really they're not really Vidane Oliver, are they? Um, and it, to me, yep. the recruitment was just muddled. We, we didn't really seem to know what's what the style of play was going to be for this year. Possibly he was kind of tempered by the you know, some of the comments that fans wanted to see better football, etc. And that perhaps, you know, clouded the recruitment process. But for, for, for you know, for all the flaws of the football last year, it, it was very obvious what the plan was and we were very good at executing it, um, mm. even if it wasn't the most entertaining to watch. And this year we just didn't get in players that I think fitted a particular style. It was very mishmash, I think. Yeah, I also think that, like you say, his recruitment was very muddled. But I just think the I've talked before the roboticness, if that's a word, of Keith Cole's play. These these players might have made sense in terms of his the way he wanted to play. But when he's gone, and when it's just them and their football technique on show, I think some of them are a little tiny bit lost, and it just doesn't make a lot of sense in terms of trying to create. A cohesive way of playing. People like Watson are just good on the ball and they'll do okay, whatever manager, but certain players I don't think will. And I think you're seeing that with Bolger, the back three. Um, when we sold Charlie Good for a million and we replaced him with people like Fraser Horsfall from Macclesfield. But at the time, we should have probably been thinking, hang on a second, this isn't mounted <laughs> up very well. But we, I just guess we went along with what Keith Curl was trying to build. Um, uh, let's go to you, Martin. What do you make of? Keith Cole's recruitment overall. Um, yeah, it's it's um. Sorry, I, I missed a couple of a couple of James, James's bits there, but I I don't think we'll we'll disagree too much. It was the recruitment a year you know a year and more back. We seemed to hit on everything. It all worked out, and I don't think he's gone out of his way to sign crap centre halves. <laughs> but that does seem to be the kind of you know ultimately. At the root, at the root of the problem, and you know the forwards he signed just haven't worked out. And I know we had, we had a discussion on um, Brendan Walsh's Twitter feed yesterday around around for Dane Oliver, and that for me, out of everything we did, you know, Good was going to go and play at a higher level. You, you do, and when we made some bad signings to replace him, but I think the one that probably Curl when he looks back on his time and says, you know, what could I have done wrong? Because he'd invested in Smith. He probably doubled down on Smith and let Oliver go for more money to Gillingham 
that was probably within our control. And I do wonder yeah. if at least having, you know, a strong target man with the way we played would have given us a bit more of a fighting chance. And but it has been it has been poor. You know, we've got two. I think some. Uh, I think Steve put it really well. You know, we've got two number two goalkeepers, and a bit like James, I wasn't a massive fan of of Cornell. I mm. thought he was a, a number two as well. But at least he improved, and you know, was probably he was better than these two. And mm. yeah, I think, you know, in sort of those key areas, we've just not been particularly good. I think midfield probably less, less so, you know, there's guys there will put a shift, put a shift in and work hard, but there's not a lot going on around them. You know, they, they, it's weak behind them. Um, losing Mills to injury left us very weak at, uh, at wing back. And we've, we've got nothing in front of them. Um, it's it's been pretty poor. I think Rose will probably be all right. We probably need something else up there as well, though, because I think the guy, the players we've got on the bench are either unproven, uh, like Chukwamika, um, haven't been very good, like um, Ashley Seal. And, yeah, it's... Um, you wonder what kind of players are out there that we would still be able to get in. Um, um, you know, which areas that, you know, we think we could... We, are the best to improve in when you're limited to players that are out of contract and um, players you can afford. You know, Sheehan to come back in at the back. I didn't think the centre halves looked so bad yesterday. They're probably, you know, probably less confused in a with two centre halves than three. But um, yeah, it's it's a tough old score. You move all those parts around, but when some parts of it just aren't particularly good, um, it's going to be a tough old job to get them. You know, start getting results. Mm. It might just be a case of that we're just literally not good enough and we can move it around as much yeah, as we want. Yeah, that, that, uh, that is... You just have to hold your hands up. my fear. <laughs> but at the same time, I said before Curl went, I just want someone who's going to go out there, is going to try and play a bit of football and try and, if we're going to go down, go down fighting. And I think they did do that yesterday and we just weren't yeah, They had good a enough. Goal, didn't they? And that was, I think that was refreshing. I think people were very negative about yeah. it. You know, we, we wanted them to have a go. And, and it's mm. it's all very well saying, you know, slagging off Keith Curl, saying, well, I just want us to have a go even if we lose. Someone comes in, replace him, they have a go and lose. And to be fair, concede the second because we're chasing the game, which is what, you know, if you're going to concede two, concede two because you're having, you're having a right good go. So, you know, I'd be reasonably optimistic. My kind of worry at the moment is that over the next four weeks, we're playing Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday. We look yeah. like a team that really needs just a week on the training ground just to mm. get back to basics. And that that is a little bit of a worry for me at the moment. The games are coming thick and fast at the moment when probably we don't want them to. Um, mm. we, we really could do with uh, some some kind of time on the training ground with, um, with Brady. It's, it's an interesting call, though, isn't it? Because... I think we're, we're realistically we're, we're going to have to take a punt on some unattached players and hope that they come off because I don't think there's quite enough there at the moment to to, to keep us up, if I'm honest. The, the only problem is with that is if we do sign a new manager, you probably want to give those extra tiny space we've got in the squad to a new manager. So it's a difficult one. I'm it, yeah, on the it's the balance act. It's, it's do we go with yeah. the current kind of temporary uh, solution and give them some better players or do we get 
a proper, uh, you know, a, a, a manager in and say, right, you, you're going to have to work with this for the first, <laughs> you know, first few months. Uh, I don't envy. Mm. I don't envy the decision that needs to be made because it, whatever whatever decision is made, it's a roll of the dice. It's a difficult one. Any new manager that comes in, for instance, if you go for a, quite a fairly big name or someone, they're going to want a budget. They're going to want guarantees on probably like training facilities. So they they want they want to see a club progress, not you know on the downgrade, which we look like at the moment. Um, Steve, I'll put you on the sort of your neck on the block here. A couple of names have been mentioned, including, and I'm not sure if this is just complete you know just guesswork or whatever there's this guy called matt gray from certain united yeah uh they could be just a complete conjecture there's a bit of a noise around him doing well in the conference or you know the national league i think they're second in the national league <coughs> are you wants to just give brady to the end of the season or are you looking for a permanent addition um for me yeah for me I, i'd give brady well as long as you can I mean, yeah, to the end of the season, really, because who's actually realistically going to take it at the moment? Why, why would a bloke from Sutton come up from the conference uh, and where they're, got, what, I should imagine, a hell of a chance of getting promoted to League Two when he could then come up to a League One club and get relegated to League Two? Mm. He's doing something at Sutton. And he's got obviously got a bit of a project there, and he, surely he wants to complete that. So uh, it, it really is a difficult one, but I am I am desperate for Brady to do well. Um, as James just said, yeah, a, a week off now. Um, almost yesterday's game. If that was cancelled, that might have been a little chance for for Brady to to, get, to have a go go at. Um, a few more training sessions before Tuesday, but if you think, yeah, next four weeks, you, you know, what can he, what can he do realistically tomorrow in training? You know, maybe a few passing drills. I mean, I, I mean, I don't know. I've never been a coach, but yeah, that's why I was bamboozled yesterday on Twitter about people seeing people having a go at him. You know, two days. What, what, what you got? Um, so yeah, it's difficult. Yeah. Um, as for the recruitment, what players do you get in? I mean, going back to Carl's recruitment, that, that was his better players were come on for free agents. So there's there's bound to be plenty out there still. Personally, I'd I'd give it to Brady to have a look at some and see what we can do. Um, and yeah, it, it, I mean. For me, he's, for me, he's got. I mean, he's got at least five games, so he's had one already. He, um, you know, it takes. It's going to take a little, a little while. It, it, it really is difficult. It really is. Yeah. Um, James, what would you say to people that are starting to look at the bigger picture here? Because it does seem to be Groundhog Day that history is repeating itself over and over. That we get a team that earns promotion. The team is pulled apart, the manager gets fired, and then we're back down in League Two. What do you think in terms of the wider themes about why Northampton are constantly this yo-yo club and we just don't ever kick on? Do you think that we could be talking about the same thing in another year's time unless something changes you know, on a more wider level? 
Oh, God, if I had the answer to that, I think I'd be employed by the club. Um, <laughs> it's a difficult one, is it? Because clearly, and this is nothing new, you know, I think like you said on, on Thursday, this goes back a while. You know, it, it happened yeah. It happened when we got promoted under Calderwood. Um, but when you looked at it like that, there were a lot of older players um, who, who had been brought in specifically to get us up and perhaps, you know, were, you know, the likes of Ian Taylor, Ian Jess um Sean Deitch who were frankly only going to have you know another year or so left so you know that's a bit Martin Smith you know older players who kind of formed the spine of that team uh then you look at the time we went up on the Wilder they were that good that you know Ricky was always going to leave but then the rest of it was entirely self-capitulating um yeah. in terms of letting Nicky Adams leave on a free I thought it was a weird decision at the time. I get we might have, you know, you know, he, he had the uh, he had the most assists in the league that year, didn't he? And we let him go on a free. I just found it a a weird decision. And then the new manager came in, said, "Oh, I'm not going to change anything," and and did. Um, and then obviously this year, you know, you've got the circumstances of the pandemic, so. I think it, 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 it's not been the same kind of reasons every time, but for whatever reason, we do just keep going up and the teams get decimated and the manager uh, and the manager on two occasions has, has, has left. And I, I don't know, maybe there is just something about, you know, the, the infrastructure of the club that, that kind of doesn't make people think that we, we've not established ourselves in League One. For, for a while and maybe that feeds into players minds you know we're seen as a as seen as a yo-yo club and mm. yeah there's, I, I don't know the answer to it but um I, I can totally understand people who who are thinking we right we need to look at a at a long-term kind of <coughs> view of the club but the, the reality is Kelvin when he came in never said it was going to be a long term he always said we're seeing this as a short a short to medium term project so yeah. um it's 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 difficult until that kind of is 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 solved as to how how we address that because clearly we do yeah. need some kind of in, investment in kind of the infrastructure to yeah. potentially take us to that next step but in reality, you know, a lot of that gets forgetting, forgotten, Tom, if, if you're winning games. And uh, if you've got good players on the pitch, people don't talk about the training ground. They don't talk about, uh, yeah. about you know, things like that. But, you know, the, the, there is some merit to, to, to that discussion taking place as well. Mm. I just think you can only go, you can only have history repeat itself so many times before you at least have to try something new. So I've talked a little bit about the technical director role, which loads of teams are doing. Uh, I think Plymouth uh, pointed one recently. Various clubs have got them. It just, what it brings is a little bit of continuity. And, you know, I said that John Brady might be a good fit for that. But some people will say, well, John Brady has shown in one game that he's not the man for the job. But at the same time, obviously, two hours training is not a proof of anything. But it doesn't necessarily be John Brady to do the role. I think that we just need to be looking at the, the finer detail of how to try and get the club up to League One and, and kick on like Lincoln have done. They've done it through investment and various other things. And I just think just trying to tick over and do the same thing we've done for years 
eventually you get to the point where you have to start looking at, at the big picture. And it, 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 it is about uh, investment and it is about expertise, you know, uh, uh, senior management level and stuff like that. And I said on the, the previous show on, on Friday night that league two, it's, it's very difficult for a lower league club because it, it involves money and it's, it's yeah. easier said than done. But, you know, does it does it mean, you know, you might need new, new owners to, to sort of facilitate that because maybe Bauer and um, Thomas have got sort of different priorities in how mm. they want to run the football. But I think you've got to look at these wider things when we, we look at John Brady. Because it, you, people are saying, oh, John Brady, you know, he, he did, didn't lay the team up properly yesterday. John, John Brady is working within the remit of a, of a particular football club. And so I do think we have to have conversations about the smaller issues and the bigger you, issues as well, because I don't think it's unfair. You, you need foresight. Yeah. Don't you? Yep. Can I ask, yeah. Tom, because you, 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 you often talk about kind of like a, a technical director or a di- yeah. director of football. Yeah. Is there like a, a kind of how do you envisage that role? Because I, I've got I've got, you know, I, I think there's definitely merit to, to yeah. that. But just if, if, if I want to play devil's advocate here, yeah. we went up in 2006 and we had a director of football, uh, yeah. John Dean, and we still came down yeah. within three seasons. Now I get Dean left, but how do you kind of envisage that role? Is it is it a kind of a, a first team role or is it kind of a club role? How would you envisage it? It's moved on a hell of a lot since um, the director of football role back in 2006. Like the FA are running, literally running qualifications and churning out people that are qualified. You know, it's, I thought John Bailey would be a good fit for it because he's got a brilliant knowledge of the use of them. And that is part of a um, technical director's role. So it's, it's create a uniformity of a style of play throughout all the age groups. And that is something that was leveled at Keith Carl. If you're a under 16 player, and you're looking at the way Keith Cole players plays and you're a parent of someone at under 16, you'd be like, well, do I want to be putting my kid in this team if that's what my kid's going to be expected to play like? So it's a, you know, and it's a, the England, England set up, I like, there's a uniformity around it. You know, Stuart Weber is the ideal guy. And if you're really trying to find out about that role, look at Stuart Weber at Norwich City and he's got various things on YouTube and he explains pretty well his role. Um, Dan Ashworth, the, uh, I think he's the technical director at Brighton, Hanover Albion, he explains it well as well it's just basically trying to create a consistency throughout the club and a a uniformity and just to stop this upheaval of sacking a manager and everything getting ripped up which has happened at Northampton at various times and it's pretty much happened again eventually you have to start putting like fire breaks in to break up the problems that we've had and you know it, it, it does Often these days, involve a conversation between the, the head coach who you bring in. So, for instance, like Daniel Farker at Norwich City, yeah, yeah. when they're when they're employed, you sit down with them and say, "Look, this is what we want to do. We want to." Um, so he would oversee your manager, wouldn't he? He would oversee. It's not like a dictatorial thing. No, it's more of a fluid thing. But you would have a conversation with an incoming manager saying, "How do you play football? Yeah. Do you are, are you willing to um, blood the youth players because?" Um, you know, we really need to be doing it at the football club. It, it will take patience with the players, but we need to see players coming through from our academy, which we pay a lot of money for. And it's it's just not giving carte blanche to a manager to do what they want. And that is what I believe pretty much happened with Keith Cole and with the results are really clear. A style of play which was eventually ineffective and turned the fans off. So um, I just think if you get that structure right and you try and 
um, appoint a you know a head coach which will fit in that structure. You can't you can't do much more than that. And then you, the, I have to sort of add that you can't, you can't just do this on its own. There needs to be a real focus on you know the facilities at the club, the club facilities to try and give the, the players and the the staff the best chances. The the stadium. Every little small little detail. If you're trying to really improve all of those at the same time, you'll eventually gradually get a, an improvement where maybe you can stay in League One. And if it doesn't work, you've at least done the right things to try and affect a bit of change. So just hear what I'm saying. It just otherwise it's just doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. And and it, and time was proven at Northampton that it hasn't worked. Do you get my it, point, James? Yeah, yeah. No, no, that, that that was it was more kind of understanding kind of what role you were advocating whether it was kind of like a, a director of football in, in like the John Dean sense or something a bit more kind of uh, modern so it's effectively what you're saying is get someone in who has like a oversees like the footballing philosophy of the, the club throughout mm. the whole club basically yeah. yeah and a good example of it is and and you know if you look at Darrow McAntony at Peterborough um, Kelvin Thomas was described as a football man when he came in and you know few people chuckled at this a bit of a cliche but I think he actually is a, a football man in the sense that he's an old school chairman that is hands off and he'll you know give a budget to the manager and trust the manager to you know do well with it but, but football has moved on so you've got higher level of scouting which has gone into completely a world of science fiction in terms of its data analysis has Northampton kept up with that I'm not 100% sure but for instance Simon Tracy was appointed head of recruitment and he is, you know, a, a colleague of Keith Curl. So do you really want a colleague of Keith Curl who could be sacked overseeing the recruitment for the football club? Because clearly when Keith Curl goes, Simon Tracy is likely to go. So you've got another vacuum. And Simon Tracy was a goalkeeper coach for Keith Curl a few years ago. Suddenly head of recruitment. You know, and some people have criticised his, his, his appointments. I guess that's by the by, but it's continuity. So... You would want a sporting director to have a, um, a say in recruitment. Obviously, you want to appoint, uh, appoint a permanent chief scout or someone who's, you know, going to be there whether whatever manager comes in. Maybe a, a chairman who is going to have a little bit of nous about him to be able to, you know, another fire break. If someone says, I'm going to sign this guy and the chairman clearly knows a little bit about football and thinks, well, hang on a second. You, well, that'd be the football that. director to do that, though, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah. I just think football, you the, the chairman so does the money. Maybe Go on, Stephen. The, the chairman does the money side of it, as well as I can see. Then you want mm. someone below that, but in between that and the manager, to sort of not tell the manager who to sign, but maybe, uh, or the style of play, but maybe to oversee, oversee that to make, if, if, if your style of play for your club is long ball direct, that's fine, but that has to be throughout the managers, is what you're saying. Yeah. Or, if you, yeah. if you, or if you want to play some nice football attacking style, that bloke oversees, oversees what goes on next. So yeah. say it be John Brady, he will then have a say or a, a bigger say than the chairman on who comes in next i guess that's what you're saying yeah it just it, it needs it needs investment and it, it's easier said than done you know it's, this is all going to cost money and it goes back to you know steady investment into the football club but 
um yeah if you add those those fire breaks in and just did a bit of it a bit more joint up thinking i think it will stand us in good stead and then you you bring a manager in who fits you know he's a good fit for northampton or a head coach in that thing in that sort of setup you're just doing all the things you can to try and you know create a bit of success and a bit of consolidation and i, I think most people agree that this hire and fire and cycle of hiring a guy different style of play pretty much every time and then just ripping it up it has to end eventually because i think some fans are getting turned off by it and i'm seeing it on social media some fans are saying i'm sort of losing interest in the football club a couple of guys i know that big fans just aren't even watching on iFollow. they find another thing to do on a saturday and yeah i just think that it does it does need a little bit more joined up thinking and i think we like i said before we'll have to wrap up now because we've been talking for ages but um that does affect on how you appraise John Brady because he is, like I said, in the parameters of how the football club is run. And that goes back into James' his point about infrastructure and all that sort of thing. So, yeah, maybe that's another one for another day. But I just think it's just a little bit of food for thought that um, there are more smaller things going on in terms of individual tactics of managers. But then there's wider themes that have been going on for years that we need to um, yeah. consider. I think the main thing is that we everyone needs to stick together and um, try and back the manager, whoever it is. Yeah. Because we're, you know, there's nothing to be gained by slating um, Brady. He's, he's doing his best in difficult position and we'll see how we got on. But listen, guys, have a good rest of your Sunday. Forget about Northampton for a bit, Cobblers for a bit, and speak uh, <laughs> again next week, hopefully in better, better, you know, better results. Take it easy, guys. Thanks a lot. Cheers. Cheers see guys. you later. Bye. See you later, guys. Take it easy. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye. 